0: If you brought a copy of Scripture with you this morning, you can find the most famous passage in all of the Bible, John chapter 3. John chapter 3, as we continue in our series on the life of Christ. You know, this year, 2022, over 50,000 men, women, and children will receive a heart transplant somewhere in the world, over 50,000. But there were none before late 1967 when a South African surgeon by the name of Chris Barnard transplanted Philip Blayberg from one heart, taking his heart out, his old heart out, and giving him a new heart. Imagine the scene, if you would, When the charismatic transplant surgeon Chris Bernard came into the room where Philip Blayberg was and said, would you like to see your old heart? If that was you, what would you have said? If you, every one of you, and those watching online, could hold your proverbial spiritual heart in your hand right now, what would it look like? The Bible uses many metaphors, many figures of speech to describe the way God works and how he saves us but not the least of which is the heart. Many of you are familiar with the passage, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God is raised from the dead, then you'll be saved. In this most famous encounter, this famous dialogue concerning entering into the kingdom of God, thank heaven, Jesus uses actually a number of metaphors. You'll hear them in the, in the scripture reading itself. But all of them point to the heart. One thing is certain, and my heart is vexed over this matter with many of you. You must be born again. That's what Jesus said. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. Now, here's the scripture. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you're doing unless God was with him. Jesus abruptly answers, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Must he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered and said, truly, truly, I say to you, un-, listen to this, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is what? It's flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel. Don't be surprised that I say to you, you must be born again. So it's clear enough from the passage, you must be born again. Amen? And to be born again, you must, first of all, admit that you are not a child of God. I cannot count the number of times I've had Well-intentioned individuals say to me things like, I've always been a child of God. That doesn't even make sense, but they sincerely believe that. No one has always been a child of God, and if you're going to be born again, you have to admit that you're not a child of God. Now, the man who comes to Jesus, his name is Nicodemus, which is a really cool name, by the way. It comes from the Greek, his name comes from the Greek word nakao. We get, our, we get uh, our English word Nike from this word. It means victory. That's what his name means. And literally Nicodemus means one who has won distinction amongst his people. And sure enough, he was a distinguished individual. You notice this, the, the text says he was a Pharisee. The word Pharisee literally means separated. And so he was separated. He, Nicodemus was learned, legalistic, and large, and I don't mean bodily large, I mean he was large in his richness. He was, in fact, tradition says he was the third richest man in all Jerusalem. He's a ruler of the Jews, did you see that? And he's not just a rabbi, he's not just a Pharisee, he's a ruler of the Jews, which means he was a member of the Sanhedrin. This was the 71-member council that did all the moral, spiritual, and biblical uh adjudication in the land, the highest court of the land. He was a part of them. And yet, wait for it, he was not a child of God. Not a child of God. And he comes to Jesus at night. Did you notice that? I I got a confession. I, I changed the title of this message three times before I finally gave it the title I did. I was originally going to call it Nick at Night, but that seemed pretty cheesy to me. So, why does Nicodemus come to Jesus at night? We're not told, but we, I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this. Jesus is already very popular. People are thronging to him. This is a quiet time. This is an undistracted time, uncrowded time. And the rabbis, by the way, said that nighttime was the best time for study. And so he comes to Jesus. And by the way, I can relate to this. Back between 1980 and 1982, there was no internet. And yet, you know, God was saving people. I know a shocker to some of you young people. And here I was very interested in the things of God. God was working in my life. My brother had come to Christ. He'd witnessed to me. People were God was putting people around me where I worked that were sharing Christ with me, and I was intensely interested, but I didn't want to tell anybody about it. How interested I was. So, I studied the person of Jesus and the claims of salvation at night late at night even after my wife would go to bed i'd watch a younger version of pat robinson in the 700 club and say what you will god was using these things to draw me to himself until finally i capitulated i gave in and my night became light By the way, the word night is actually a metaphor used six times in the Gospel of John for spiritual darkness, which is exactly where some of you are right now, where your hearts are at. Some of you right now are in the dark. Your hearts are dark. And there's coming a day, listen to this, there's coming a day when the sun will never again rise for you, ever. You must be born again. And Notice when Nicodemus comes to Jesus, he's, he's very impressed. I mean, r- rabbi, teacher, he, he, he addresses him respectfully. We know you're a teacher come from God. Nobody could do these miracles that you're doing unless God was with him. So he's showing genuine respect. He's being lured. He's being drawn. So you would expect Jesus to say, Nicodemus, you're not far from the kingdom of God. But he doesn't. In fact, he says, truly truly verily verily again amen amen most assuredly listen to this nicodemus unless one is born again he cannot see the kingdom of god that seems like an abrupt reply and the, and the and i think the reason and the and the fact that chapter breaks don't do us a whole lot of favors here but If we just go back before chapter 3, you can maybe get a clue as to why Jesus responded the way he did to a pretty sincere statement from Nicodemus. Look what he says in verse 23. Here's what it says. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the time of of the feast, many, what? Believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them. The word entrust and the word believe just before it are the exact same root word, the Greek word pistis. It basically means to believe. Jesus didn't believe because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man because he himself knew what was in man. Let me tell you what exactly this passage is saying. Many were believing in him, but Jesus wasn't believing in them. Now let that sink in just for a moment. I don't care how old or how young you are. A number of you have made professions of faith. You've prayed prayers. Some of you are learned. You're legalistic. You know all the answers. And you're just as lost as Nicodemus. Because you haven't been born again. And you must be born again. Jesus said that. So Jesus knew Nicodemus's proud heart. He knows yours as well. I mean, just last week when John Nimmers was preaching uh, from John 11 on the, on the resurrection of Lazarus, I can't believe I gave him that passage. <laughs> but he preached a great message, and when he got done, I, uh, uh, I went out into the fellowship hall, the coffee cove, and I was talking to Shannon Edmondson. Some of you know Shannon and Tasha. They both came to Christ about nine years ago. I was in their home. In fact, Shannon came up to me and said, Pastor, I'm listening to John's message. I couldn't help but remember the time you were in my home. You remember what you said to me? I said, no, I don't remember. (laughs) He said, Tasha had just gotten, uh, gotten saved. And you looked at me and you said, what about you, Shannon? Are you ready to be saved? Are you saved? Have you been born again? And Shannon goes, and I told you, no, I haven't. And you looked at me and said, you stink worse than Lazarus before he was resurrected. (laughs) He texted me later that day, he said, you have such a way with words. (laughs) Let me tell you something. He said, that put the bugaboo on me. And a couple weeks later, I was saved. Nicodemus was drawn to Jesus, but his pride, like some of yours, was still in the way. A few years ago, Dan and Amy Haffman came to know Jesus as their Savior. We also had the joy of leading them to Christ. Dan has now become an author. He's writing books, children's books. He just got one out just in time for Easter. The Reason book, The Reason for Easter. That book just came out. You can purchase it if you'd like. Not from here, but from him. When Dan was on the cusp of being saved, he made the most incredible statement in the moment he said to my wife and I and to his own wife I have to get out of my own way I'd never heard that before and he said it when he got baptized I had to get out of my own way he saw his own pride as the impediment to trusting Jesus just like some of you you can't get out of your own way that's the problem You've got to get out of your own way if you want to know Jesus' way, if you want the way, the truth, and the life. You must be born again. So take out your heart. Look at it. Is it still dark? If it is, admit that you are not a child of God because nobody can come into the kingdom of God until you admit that first. Secondly, believe that Jesus died and rose again, and wait for it, for you. It has to be personal, but let's talk about this business of being born again. So he says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What does that even mean? The key word here is again. We all know what it means to be born, but the key word is again. It's it's the Greek word anothen, and it's an interesting word. It's a word that could either be translated a word that refers to time, like, again, like most of our English translations translate, born again. Or it could be translated from the sense of place, like from above. And there are some translations that actually translate this word from above, where Jesus says, I tell you the truth, unless you're born from above, you cannot see the kingdom of God. To translate it born from above is to declare that your salvation comes from God and not from yourself. To translate it, born again, is to declare, I have to have a brand new start with a brand new heart. So how should this phrase in verse 3 and 7 be translated? Should it be translated born again or born from above? And the answer is yes. This is what we call a a double entendre. This is a double meaning, and I think God absolutely intended it to be so. To translate this word born from above affirms what John says earlier when he says as many as received him. To them he gave the power to become the children of God. Many of you have read that verse, but you haven't thought much on the next one. Who are born. Born, mind you. Not of blood, not because you were born into a Christian family, nor of the will of the flesh, not because you've worked for it, you've done things, you're coming to church, you're, you, you check off all those boxes, nor of the will of man, not because mommy and daddy did it so, but of what? It's of God. Jonah said it best, salvation is of the Lord. This, to translate this, born from above, affirms all of this. But to translate it born again affirms the truth of what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 6 behold now is the accepted time behold now is the day of salvation that speaks of a time and Nicodemus clearly understands it in the, in the sense of time here both are true my brother Mike who led me to Christ saw a bit of a revival up in northern Iowa where he pastored for several years this was a very strong Reformed area. Any Presbyterian or Reformed church individuals here? Or are you formally? You don't need to raise your hand or anything. Uh, but most of these churches are very biblically robust. They study the word. They, they know the scripture. They can, they can debate theology. But in this case, and in many cases, they never declare the necessity of the new birth. And as my brother was working with them, he discovered that they had, a, they had a head full of knowledge and heart full of rocks. And he said, to, he said, Pat, he goes, I'll tell you what, they started crossing over and trusting Jesus left, right, and center when I just simply asked them, do you have a time? Do you have a time? Do you have a time? And one by one, they recognized they'd never been born again. And they started trusting Jesus. By the way, do you have a time? Jesus said, you must be born again. Oh, by the way, did, notice the personalizing of this. Verse 7. This is during the dialogue. Jesus, in verse 3, says, unless one, generally speaking, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. But now he looks directly at Nicodemus and he says, Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be born again. Jesus is telling the proud rabbi and ruler, you have to be born again, and so do you. Where I formerly pastored, we had vacation Bible schools, just like we have here, and there were Reformed churches around us. A couple of them would always send their kids to our vacation Bible school, and guess what? The kids would get born again, and they'd go back to their church. And and so we would always have this little... uh, little eat at the end of our week, and we invite everybody, parents in, and I was sitting with this group of guys from the Forum Church, really cool guys, neat guys, uh, open guys, and one particular guy next to me said, you know, we keep sending our kids here, and they keep getting back and getting born again. I said, well, well, what do you think of that? He goes, well, you know, we had a a biblical discussion, just me and the guys here last week, and we discussed this, and I don't think one of us has been born again. That's what he said. You must be born again. So take out your proverbial heart and look at it. Look at it. Have you been born again? If you want to be born again, you must admit that you're not a child of God. You must believe that Jesus died and rose again for what? For you, And third and lastly, you need to confess your sin. Turn to Jesus and receive a new heart. Now, we're going to make a beeline to the most controversial part of this passage that has caused theologians and Bible exegetes a lot of gray hairs. It's this one. Jesus says to Nicodemus, unless one is born of water and of spirit cannot see the kingdom of God. What does that mean? There are some, and maybe even some of you think, well, the water refers to baptism clearly, except that there's nothing about baptism in this passage. Some would say, well, let's talk about the water of birth because, you know, when somebody is born, there's water involved and this and that. And there is something to this. Nicodemus does say, "Does you know, must I enter a second time in my mother's womb? And Jesus kind of leans into that and says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. But don't feel bad if you're confused about this because Nicodemus was too. When Jesus explains it, verse 10, Nicodemus says, how can these things be? And Jesus said to Nicodemus in the next verse, Nicodemus, you are the, and the article is there in the Greek, you are the teacher of Israel? That's how important this dude was. And you don't know these things? You just hang on to that for a moment. Jesus says to this ruler of the Jews, who is also the teacher in Israel, you're the teacher in Israel, you don't know these things? That is filled with implication, because the only way that it would be possible for Nicodemus to know these things is if it were taught in the Old Testament, right? That's not a trick question, right? Right. And lo and behold, it was taught. Before we put it up, think again. Jesus said, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What does that mean? Nicodemus should have known ezekiel the prophet prophesied of the new birth to come hundreds of years before this encounter with jesus and nicodemus look carefully at what ezekiel wrote he said this i will this is god speaking through ezekiel i will sprinkle clean what is it water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols i will cleanse you and i will give you a new what a A new heart And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Look at that. Water, spirit, even the same order in which Jesus gave it. That's why he should have known. The water here is clearly a metaphor for cleansing. That's what water does. It's a metaphor for cleansing. We know what actually cleanses, 1 John 1, 7. The blood of Jesus, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. Amen? But when we're born again, it's then that by God's power, your old heart is transplanted with a new one. That's exactly what Ezekiel was saying. Now, how will we know if that's actually happened? How will we know if that's actually happened to you or to me, that your old heart has been transplanted? Well, Ezekiel didn't leave us hanging, nor did Jesus. Back to Ezekiel. The very next verse says, God says, I will put my spirit within you. This is hundreds of years before this, God. And cause you to walk in my statutes. God causing. And be careful to obey my rules. It's right there. It was all there all the time. Perfectly agreeing with Jesus. Now just the other day I dropped my wife off, my wife Marilyn off at her car which was in another parking lot. And when I did, I, I often do, I, I pull up, she gets out, I wait for her to make sure her car is going to start and you know, all that. So I'm waiting. It's, it was about 20 feet from my car. And As I watched her make her way to her car, something powerful, something invisible, pushed her up against her car. It was a 50-mile-an-hour wind. And what did Jesus say? The wind, verse 8, blows where it wills. It blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it. But you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. And by the way, the word wind and Spirit, same Greek word, pneuma. No coincidence. In a word, Jesus is saying, when the Spirit comes in, so does change. Every time i have seen i have personally witnessed i have had the personal joy of witnessing hundreds and hundreds of people over the years profess faith in jesus as lord and savior and i have never once seen the holy spirit enter into one of them in the moment but have i seen the results you can't see wind but you can see what wind does amen You can't see the Holy Spirit enter in, redeem, change, transplant a wicked, dark heart, but you can see what happens when he does. Again, look at it. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. When Dr. Barnard handed Philip Blaberg The heart that he was born with. Blaberg became the first person in the history of the world to hold his old heart in the palm of his hand. Imagine that. And when he did, he said this. So this is the old heart that caused me so much trouble. He handed it back to the surgeon and never saw it again. Right now, I would like every one of you to put your hands together. and Put your pen down. Put your Bible down. Cup your hand in front of you. And imagine that you are holding your old heart in the palm of your hand. Your old spiritual heart. I want you to look there and ask yourself, what does it look like? If it looks like the same one that's in your heart right now, that's in your life right now, you need a transplant. And the surgery is scheduled right now. Right now you need to truly repent of your sin. Truly believe that Christ died for you and rose again. And truly receive him into your heart and life. The surgery is today. It's right now. Nicodemus would eventually have a transplanted heart. How do we know? How do you know? There's nothing in the text that says so. But in John chapter 19, when Jesus died, this ruler, this teacher, this member of the Sanhedrin, along with Joseph of Arimathea, took the dead body of Jesus, who died for his sin, who died for your sin, defiled himself, so to speak. But you don't defile yourself when you touch Jesus. A reverse happens. He handled Jesus putting his reputation in jeopardy and embraced Jesus in his death so that he could have life. Will you do that? The man that mentored me, one of my father figures in the church I formerly pastored, we were talking about another man in the church Claimed to know Jesus, had a testimony, no joy, no change, nothing. And my mentor said, Well, he's not saved. And I said, Well, he says he's born again. He says he prayed to receive Christ. And my mentor said, You tell him it didn't take. (laughs) Full disclosure, full disclosure. Dr. Bernard's first transplant didn't take either. Philip Blayberg was his second transplant. That took. Some of you need to examine yourself right now. Did it take? And is there any evidence to that end? Because if anyone is in Christ, they're what? They're a new creation. Old things really are passed away. All things have become new. Let's pray. Father in heaven, how grateful we are that we can open up this great passage of Scripture, this great declaration of Jesus, who both generalized the need for all to be born again and then said we individually must be born again. Lord, there are people in this room, young and old alike, and many, I have no doubt who have yet to be born again. If that is you, dear friend, while we pray, if in your spirit, if in your heart, you would recognize this heart is darkened. It's not right with God. If you, with all of your heart, would believe right now that Jesus loved you, that he died for you, that he rose again for you, if you would believe that with all of your heart, you'll get a spiritual heart transplant. Would you do that right now? Would you ask the Lord Jesus to transplant your heart? To come into your heart, forgive you of your sin, and be your Lord and Savior. That's what you need to pray right now. God, forgive me of my sin believe in your son I believe what Jesus did for me for real with my heart transplant me for your glory and these things we ask in the name of the great transplanter himself even our Lord Jesus we pray amen let's stand